Welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. In today's episode, I have my good friend and colleague joining us, Rachel Rainbolt. Rachel has her master's in marriage and family therapy. She's an author. She's a parenting coach. She's an advocate for the LGBTQIA community. And she'll be sharing with us a little bit today about her own personal parenting journey and how her and her partner hold space in their family for gender identity and gender expression. So wherever you're listening today, I hope that you enjoy the following conversation. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. say yes. I am so excited about your podcast today <laughs> because I did not know the name of it in advance and I use that phrase it's if you've my in my sage homeschooling book it's in there I swear at least 50 times holding space about, yes holding space it's this this phrase that I use all the time in my work I with families it. when we're talking about holding space for our kids to thrive and all the specific ways to do that I just absolutely I'm in love with that phrase so the fact that you named your podcast that I'm, I'm just, so excited it just means we were meant to be because oh for sure (laughs) for sure no I love I love that phrase and I feel the reason I named the podcast holding space is because I feel like in many ways it's what I do for a living but it's also what I feel like I want I strive to do in not just my work but also in teaching in parenting in podcasting in your own <laughs> in like my self-care and life self-care. and growth oh, holding space for your needs absolutely 100 percent. sometimes I forget about that piece <laughs> <laughs> but yes in my own self-care too <laughs> so Rachel you have your master's in marriage and family therapy yes and we first met and I have a story about this but we first met when you were teaching baby massage classes out of your home so let me share this story with you when Riley was born, I'm going to try to not cry, <laughs> when, when Riley was born, I, the first time I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh, this little human, I'm going to keep you so safe and I'm going to protect you. But I struggled in the very beginning with feeling that deep, deep connection that mm-hmm. I really thought you were supposed to feel right yeah. away. And I came into your class um, because I'd heard about baby massage and I was just looking for other ways of connecting with her. But also she was struggling with, you know, tummy development stuff and there were a lot of crying out, a lot of hours crying and all of that. And I heard baby massage could be helpful. And I remember sitting down in your class and everyone took their shoes off and we all sat down. There was other moms there. It was one of the first times I think I really got out of the house and was around other moms. And there was something about your, honestly, like your voice and like the tone of your voice that was so welcoming and comforting for me as a mom. But then also like in the actual baby massage, I actually think you didn't even have a real baby in front of you, but you were, I think it was like one of those like little dolls. But you would, you would massage this little doll and you would look into this little doll's eyes. And like, there was this thing about your voice. I, in the very beginning, I would just, I was like, wow, she looks so in love and connected to this doll. (laughs) 
And I, I would just, I would mimic your voice and your tone and I would just like sort of fake it in the beginning until it became real. It made me cry. (laughs) And this is the voice you were talking about. Um, I just like faked it until, until I, until that like deep connection that, um, that I feel now. And then it's that it's hard to even imagine not feeling it, but at that in those really early um, weeks when it was really hard, I just like pretended to have your voice, and I would just try to like use your voice and and fake the way that you would look at your baby, this like fake baby. <laughs> I would look at my daughter that way, and then it just became, then it just then it just became real and I was using massage every night and it became a routine and rub baby oil on her and help her like and comfort her with it and so now I'm be crying (laughs) (laughs) so I've never shared that story with Rachel before and in we're talking about holding space one of the things that I think is the most valuable about having like a circle of you know new moms or families and their babies is holding space for that to be normal and beautiful and natural too. Like, because those are the, the corners of motherhood that we don't often see a light shown on. And that, that, that is a normal, healthy, beautiful path into connection as well. Like that's, that's probably even more common and that's why, you know, I have a doll sitting in front of me if my babies are running around or doing other things because that's really what it's about in the beginning. Yeah. And it was like that for me too, you know, just you go through the motions and you put the, the cart before the horse and then before you know it, like it's second nature and yeah. it's real and you feel it. Yeah. And I think that um, because all these were things that you would actually say to us, like Mm. in that space, and it was so deeply felt, that it was a safe place. You held a safe Mm. place for me to do that, to sort Mm. of fake it and pretend and mimic, right? And use your voice and your songs and your words and your tone and your expression until it became my own. So... Thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> well, I um, and it's it's funny because Rachel came. I was like, oh, "There's a story I need to tell you, and I've never said it to you before, but it needs to be organic." And she's like, "And we we're like joking. We're like organically planned. Yes, organically, <laughs> organically planned. planned in the podcast." I want to tell you the story, but you have to wait to hear wait. it. <laughs> and uh, sorry, my dog just barked, and I'm at, I'm in my home, and my dog's probably gonna bark, and there's probably gonna be lawnmowers, but which is perfect because you all will feel like you're right here. <laughs> sitting at my dining table (laughs) so so baby massage was was the way I met you but you've gone on to do so many other things you are an author you're an educator you're a coach and I know that you have books you have a parenting book and a breastfeeding book and a sleep book and a homeschool book but is there just anything in there that you else want to share introducing yourself or that I'm missing? Because I know you're doing a lot. Yeah, just I have some e-classes, but really my main jam is email parenting coaching. So I get to awesome. connect with parents all over the world and help support them on their journey and being connected as a family and living the lifestyle that they want to live together as a family. And 
the work is so fulfilling and amazing and it's just such a privilege to get to do it and I feel like it really it, it was sort of this hole that I saw you know for parents who were struggling Alfie agrees it's really yeah, my, my dog Alfie he, he thinks this is really this is actually he's really wanting his voice to be heard yes we'll hold That's space his. for that we'll hold space for that <laughs> So that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) You know, I don't think that I knew that you did email coaching. Yeah. And that's so good to know. That is because there are so many people that are looking for a resource and they can't find it in the city or in the town or in the area that they're living in. And it's so important, I think, for you to find somebody, I think especially because my niche is really like gentle parenting and natural learning and like attachment parenting. And and so it's really difficult to find guidance that you can trust, you know, that sort of comes within the vein that resonates with you. So a lot of these families are hearing from their pediatricians that what they're doing is wrong. And all of their friends might be saying, you're crazy. That's, you know, you're, you're doing it all wrong. And so to be able to connect with someone who like speaks the language that you're trying to learn, yes, yes. I think can is is one of the most valuable pieces. It's hard to find like trusted voices who can give you especially like the well-informed pieces that you need to get like your family members on board. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So this this word that you just used, unschooling, tell me more about that word. So unschooling is the label that's used to describe what I like to call natural learning or natural homeschooling. And it basically means that you are supporting and guiding your children in learning the way that humans have been programmed to learn throughout millions of years of evolution. So it's a lot of like self-driven learning and learning through experience Um you know, following your passions and it's about living a meaningful lifestyle together as a family in which all of this learning just like blossoms and thrives. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) Well, it includes you too. I think that's one really common misconception about even homeschooling in general is that it's something that you do to a child. Mm. And I completely throw that out and it's, it's a way of living with a child. And so we are all you know, I'm picking up books and trying to learn more about things and working on projects and, and writing and, and my kids are doing all of these things alongside me and following their own passions. Like my oldest is like this ukulele rock star. I love it and write songs and, and through music, learning math and all of these other things. So it's just this more natural way of learning that a lot of people don't know exists. So they might feel like, you know, the, the standard box, my kids aren't fitting in it. And this doesn't feel, you know, we're not thriving and surely there must be a better way. Um, but then you don't really know what that would look like. So do you feel like the approach of unschooling is something that's only applicable to those families that are homeschooling? For instance, our family, we don't homeschool. That's not the path that we chose. And I wonder if there's ways in which these ideas apply to us as well. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a lifestyle. And so like I have friends whose kids are in school and a variety of different programs. And there are some really great like ways for school to look that can also help children thrive. There's still so much shifting you can do to unlock a lot of potential that you're not tapping into in terms of like potential for joy and freedom Mm -hmm. and connection. 
And I think that's feedback that I get often, like when I finish working with someone is that like, I had no idea that it would be so easy and the changes like when I'm reflecting seem so small, but yet there it's like huge, huge, you know, results from like what I'm experiencing now than what I was experiencing before. I love to hear that because I think, you know, for I've, I've, I've definitely had the daydreams. We are packing up and moving <laughs> to the woods, which you actually did. We, we, did. we can we get to in a second. <laughs> packing up and moving to the woods and, you know, doing these things. And that is just, it, that's not going to happen for us. You know, that's mm-hmm. not something that based on, you know, my husband's job and our family supports here and my vision for my own work life. Mm -hmm. And so how can I still bring those values to our family life in the structure in which our family life is going to look? So I really like to start at the most like practical, like higher level. And then we work our way down and then the whole like bedrock of your family gets shifted in amazing ways. But I find it's most productive and it's a really great entry point for people to start at like the higher level practical stuff. So like your bank account and your calendar reflect your values and priorities. That's so true. And that, that either so happens true. like passively, like you're just sort of, you know, fall in, working off the script you inherited and doing what you think you're supposed to do. Or you can flip that and make it intentional where you sit down and you actually write out what are your values. And then from those, you build what are my top five priorities as a family, like get super specific. And then we make your bank account and your calendar reflect what those priorities actually are. You are making me right now want to open up my (laughs) online banking account and open my calendar and, you know, I actually think there'd be a lot of things in there that I would be like, wow, this is where our money is going to and what we're investing in. And this is what we're filling up our life with. And there would be things in there that I would probably absolutely want to shift because it they're probably not aligned with mm-hmm. values. Yeah. Wow. I think of it like holding space, like holding space for those priorities. So if your money and your time is going to all of these other things that you're not being really conscious of and intentional with, you're not holding space for your true priorities. And that is a recipe for unhappiness. You're not going to feel fulfilled and you're not going to end up where you want to be. Like you have to know where you're going (laughs) in order to get there. Like those priorities help you set your compass. And like the number one for me on my compass is connection. Like, so Mm -hmm. in my list of like my values and then my priorities that I based on that, connection like so and that's like with our with first with our family like you know my kids and my husband and then it moves out from there like connection with um, our community like our friendships Mm. and connection with mentors who can help you know bring in new wisdom and experiences and perspectives and then connection like through meaningful contribution like my work you know like connecting with others so that like that, that connection is number one and so every time I put something in the calendar or I swipe my debit card, you know, it runs through this filter of, is this getting me, am I stepping toward the person I want to be and toward the life I want to have? Or am I stepping away from it? Because nothing is neutral. That is like, that is so powerful. What you just said, (laughs) nothing is neutral. Yeah. Do you have all this written down somewhere? (laughs) 
that people that are listening, if they wanted to go, like, okay, I need to, like, see this so that I can... All of this stuff that we're talking about now is in the Sage Homeschooling the book. Sage which I know, like, okay. it's homeschool. It's, like, the title is homeschooling, so a lot of people might feel like, right. unless I'm a Duggar, like, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is... Yes. Yeah, it's really just about living, like, living the lifestyle that... A phrase I sometimes use is lifestyle design. Like, so instead of just having the relationships that your parents had with their kids and replicating that, and instead of just having the house you think you're supposed to have and going to the job you think you're supposed to do, like, it's really like nothing is beyond question. Question every belief, shine a light on everything, even in the darkest, like cobwebby corners of your mind and your perception of yourself and the world around you and just like shake it all out and question everything. And then it's just so fun. You get to like pick up each thing that you want and, and you'll see gaps and you'll go and you'll learn new things to fill them in. It's, you see, I get excited because I really yes. love my work. <laughs> you are so, you, if you could see right now, like her whole body is moving with this. I love, I love to see that energy and excitement. Yeah, I love this work and it just yields such tremendous change. And so someone might come to me with something so specific as like my, my child is hitting, you know, mm, yes. and, and it may seem odd to start way up at this practical higher level place. But then by the time we're done, like those struggles are addressed, like everyone's needs are met because when you shift that to being the priority and you hold the space for everybody's needs, a lot of those symptoms that a lot of people in children, you know, describe as behaviors, they, they go away. I need to like transcribe everything you're saying, but it's in your book. So it's yes. in your homeschooling book. Yes. Okay. So shifting a little. So you and I most recently got, well, we've been connected. We've been connected. You really, I've been connected to you since day one of my motherhood journey. But since you moved, I haven't seen you in a while. Mm-hmm. And most recently, um, you, you shared with people in your life that your daughter, Sky, who was your gender, you, I'm trying to think of gender the word, creative, gender creative, I always described gender it. creative child was that she was transitioning into a gender expression of female Yes, and preferring for pronouns she and her. Yes. And I emailed you back right away and just sending you love. And, um, I think I was, things that were in my mind, I don't know if I said this, were, she is, she is so lucky to be, to have you as a mom. And I wanted you to like know that. Thank you so much. Um, and I want to thank you in person because your email was so kind, like to get that, you know, right after the email went out to feel that yeah. love and support. So thank you. How, how are you and your husband deciding what you will share? Right. And like, because I also, I want to start off there so that we can in this space be respectful of what you feel comfortable in sharing and talking about. My child really sets the tone for that. I think that, you know, some people, when they make this transition, they like to be in the community. They use the word stealth, like, you know, anonymous so that no one knows. And, um, since 
our family has been somewhat in a public figure-ish and relatively in the spotlight from the beginning. Mm -hmm. My kids don't really have that option in the same way that a lot of people do because all along the way, like when I would go on TV, you know, Sky Mm -hmm. would say, I want to come on TV with you. And I'd say, awesome. And so, but now the world kind of has known me as like the boy mom, like the mom with three boys. So if my child still wanted to be in all the pictures that I post on Instagram and be in all of the things that I write, which she definitely says that she does, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, then I'm, then we talked about how I'm going to have to speak to that and, and how do you, you know, or not, like, how do you want me to address it? And, yes. and so we basically just had conversations about that. And I've always, you know, gotten my kids consent basically for, for you know, when I write about them in books, like if I share an anecdote, I read it to them first yes. and make sure that check in that it's okay with them. And thankfully, Sky is like bold and confident and just a super awesome human being and um, and really wants to make the world a better place and like mm. is passionate about paving the way for other people. And so she gets that if we share our story of what it looks like to be loving and accepting and supportive as somebody navigates this journey, then that can be a light that other families can look to if they're feeling scared and confused and, and don't know, you know how to move forward in love around this issue. So how, how did you and your partner... How, how do you two as parents address, look at, um, interact around gender in your family? From the time my kids were young, I think I've always been aware of a lot of the gender role restrictions placed on kids, you know, like the, the pink and the blue toy aisle and such. And I've, I've always been conscious of not of giving them the freedom to pick whatever toy they want and to play whatever game they want and to wear whatever they want. Um, and my younger two are very cisgender <laughs> in their preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and my firstborn has always been gender creative. Pink was the favorite color. Mm-hmm. And they had friends who were girls and wanted to play house and giggle and dress up. And friends who were boys and they wanted to wrestle and be superheroes and and all of that. And so we just really held the space yeah. <laughs> for our kids to be exactly who they were. Yes. And... And, you know, I, I think really the acceptance has to come from an understanding that I don't create the child, you know, I, Mm. I don't program them. Like they're not Mm. like software that I program and, and there is some loss of control, you know, that you Mm. have to accept with that. But there's, there's also, there's just so much more acceptance to be found in that, in that viewpoint. Like my child was born with a given spirit, (laughs) And that is who they are. And my role as a parent can influence so much in terms of the outcome with their happiness and their health and their well-being and their success. But they come into this world with that given spirit piece and mm. and you either honor it and then you have this amazing life of connection that's so rewarding and joyful or you don't. Mm. And then you miss out on that. Like you miss out on the gift of being in connection in like this deep, meaningful way in this way of celebrating this human, Mm. you miss out on that, you know, and that's a lifelong connection. And so the choice isn't like, do I, 
you know, condone having a transgender child or not. Like my child is transgender. The choice is, do I want to honor and celebrate and support them and have this lifelong connection where they feel always accepted and loved unconditionally? Or do I want to fill them with shame and break the connection and not enjoy a life together? Yeah. Okay, so Rachel, I have a story slash experience that I want to share with you. It's one in which I feel like I did not step up to the plate or into the role as a true ally to the transgender community in my silence, actually, in this interaction. And so I want to get some of your feedback on this experience. So the story actually begins with my daughter wanting to get a bunny. She really wanted to get a girl bunny. So we go out and we get a girl bunny. A couple weeks later, I take the bunny to the vet to get, I believe the term for a uterus-bodied bunny would be spayed. So I take Fluffy, our bunny, to go get spayed. And the vet does a quick exam and then looks at me and says, I'm so sorry, I cannot spay this bunny. And I look at him and I'm like, why? And he says he moves over some fur because this bunny is a boy, has testicles, and would need to be neutered. And so I'm like, okay. And so I leave Fluffy there to get neutered. I go home and tell my daughter, I'm like, hey, I was at the vet today, and I found out that Fluffy is actually a boy. And Riley looks at me, and she has this perplexed look on her face, and she says, I just feel in my heart that she's a girl. And I decided to take this moment as a parenting opportunity moment to just begin the conversation with her around gender identity and gender diversity because we've had conversations before around diversity and sexuality. My brother, her uncle is gay. My sister-in-law is a lesbian. Her best friend has two moms. Our neighbor has two dads. And so around diversity and sexuality, we've had these conversations quite a bit. But diversity and sexuality are very different or are different. And hadn't had a chance up until this point to really talk to her about gender diversity. So I say to her, bunnies are different from people. But some people, so when people are born though, based on our anatomy and our body parts, the doctor and the people around that baby will say it's a boy or it's a girl. And some people grow up and really feel like that label, boy or girl, really fits with their true identity. And there's actually a word for that, and the word is cisgender. But did you know that there are some people who are born and based on their body parts, people say it's a boy, it's a girl. And then that person can grow up and not feel like that really fits their true identity. And the word for that is actually transgender. And so then we kind of move on from that. Uh, my daughter decides, I want to I refer to Fluffy as a girl. And she asks if that's okay. And I'm like, sure, it's a bunny. And um, you can refer to the bunny however you want. A few weeks go by and it's Christmas. And we're at a family Christmas party. And somebody brought a guest and my daughter is talking to a group of people, including this guest, and she's sharing the story of, you know, my mom went to the vet and the vet said that Fluffy's a boy, but I thought she was a girl. So I call her a girl. And she says, my mom says that when people feel like their gender is different from what others would say, that there's a word for that. And that's transgender. 
And the guest looks horrified that my daughter said this word. He's actually standing next to my son and puts his hands over my son's ears as if the word that my daughter just said, transgender, is something to be ashamed of or is a cuss word. In the moment, my first thought was, don't touch my son. (laughs) Get your hands off my son's ears. Um, But That would have been my first thought too. But then then there was like, but then I, I... Rose and I didn't know. And okay, and a couple things. So I struggle. I struggle in even sharing this story because, in no way, do I think. I don't know. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's our pet. It's a rabbit. It's not a. Right. Fluffy is not a human going through this transition. My daughter has a preference for how she wants to refer to the bunny. I don't want to be insensitive in even, <laughs> but you know, I, this but was it's just, a great opportunity. It was, a, it, was to, a, it was a moment. Yeah. yeah. It was an opportunity for me to just begin to have the conversation. Yeah. So in this moment though, my, she's picking up, my son's picking up that this, this person mm. is sort of horrified that we're talking about the word transgender. Right. Like there's something shameful about that. There's something that shameful about it. And about what that is. Right. And so I froze up. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say, how to respond to that. I think I was worried of shaming him right. since he was with all of us, our family on Christmas Eve. I froze up. And so I don't know. I don't know. So I guess my my question is how do we, whether we use the word ally or how do we stand up, how do we voice, how do we have a voice in a moment like this where we can begin to be an ally and mm-hmm. call things out and name things and make people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Because it's in that discomfort usually that then yes. you begin to reflect and look at something a little harder I don't know. How, how do we do this? Yeah, I think that ally is a word that I like. I know you and I talked about yeah. it. I do really like the word ally. I think that it can be used, overused or used incorrectly in right. the sense mm-hmm. that you are only an ally if you can honestly, truly, and deeply um come to the support of an issue or a person from a place of acceptance and curiosity and open-mindedness and willingness. And if you can't hold that in your mind and in your heart, then you're not an ally. And if you're not, that's okay. Right. Um, But you shouldn't adopt that label unless you are. Um, I think that a lot of people claim to be allies. I know, especially in the mental health field, being really connected now with this transgender community, so many therapists say LGBTQ friendly, and then they go and they're not allies. They're Mm -hmm. not open to the experiences of these kids and of these families. And so I think that that word is a powerful word, and I love that word. And I think that you just have to really... um, be open-minded and curious. Um, and that's a posture you have to hold if you want to adopt that word. Yeah. And please try to, because yes. we can use all the allies we can get. Absolutely. <laughs> and in that, I mean, in that situation, it's really, and, and first of all, like it, being an ally and, and I would consider myself one, you know, since mm-hmm. my kid 
is LGBTQ, it's messy and imperfect, you know, just like Mm -hmm. motherhood and just like all of these things. And so I have learned, and it's taken me a while to get to this place, to give myself the same um, level of grace. I don't know if that's the right word as I would with my children. Like it's, you know, it's a journey and we're all growing and learning and to be forgiving and gentle with myself to not be, you know, where I want to be on day one. And so I think even in that scenario that, that you recognize, like, this is a situation that, you know, that calls for something to be said, and I'm not sure what to say or how to say it. Like that is a step toward, you know, getting where we all need to go. Personally, I tend to err on the side of making people uncomfortable. <laughs> I love that about you. I, yep. I got to be honest and say that I kind of enjoy challenging people and knocking them off center yeah. a bit. You and I were saying this a little bit earlier when we were eating lunch, this idea of how much you actually enjoy blowing people's minds. I think what we said was like more people's minds need to be blown <laughs> yes. so that they can feel uncomfortable yes. and really practice reflexivity and look Mm -hmm. at their own experiences. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Like it's really that simple. Discomfort comes right before growth. And so we have to be fearless and bold and willing to be embracing discomfort for ourselves. Like if somebody tells me something that knocks out an assumption that I'd had, Mm -hmm. like I love it, you know, and I feel uncomfortable and I lean into that and I try to learn more about it. And so I'm not asking anything of anyone else that I wouldn't, you know, that I'm not willing to put up with for myself, but I am brave enough to go out on a limb and put myself out there and make other people uncomfortable um, in the most gentle and loving way that I can. And I don't say I'm brave, like, because I think I'm amazing, but in the sense that like anybody can be, you know, it's, it's, it's a choice and it's an intentional choice to say, I am going to be brave for the people who can't, for the people who don't have the, the privilege that I have, you know, to be brave. So while the children who are transgender and struggling in those sorts of family gatherings, they may not be able to say something to that adult, but you have the privilege to, to be brave because you're safe, yes. you know, with safety, you have that, that privilege of bravery. Yes. And so to stand up and say something, even if it might be the wrong thing, or even if you might stumble and even if <laughs> it might come out wrong, I, I relieve some pressure from myself by thinking of it like logging. So I'll say something just to like plant a seed, just to like Mm, log mm -hmm. my objection. Mm -hmm. And it relieves the pressure of like, I'm not trying to convert someone Mm. and I'm not trying to like rewrite their entire belief system. But you can offer this seed. I just offer the, I just, I just drop the seed. Like even if it's something as simple as I'm picking up on a lot of discomfort from you, and I just want you to know that in this space, transgender is a beautiful word, and it's something that we accept and we celebrate. And yes. then, like, move on. Like, there's yes. no, like, shaming or pressure. Yes. I just want to drop the seed. And and sometimes that seed might not—it might be 15 years before that seed blossoms, but then maybe 15 years from now, they meet someone else, mm. and then that seed, like, suddenly sprouts. You know, they'll recall back to that. And I know that that's how it works because in, in the beginning, like when we first connected and I was talking all about attachment parenting and, and things like that, I would have conversations with strangers and, and, and clients and, and I would plant, you know, just drop seeds and with no, no 
no investment in an outcome, mm. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yes. Like I, I'm not invested in the outcome that that guest at that that family gathering is suddenly going to turn around and 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 RSVP to the pride parade. Like I don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that is okay. Yes. But I feel like it's my responsibility because I have the privilege to be able to do it to just just drop those seeds, just just log that note because silence is not neutral. Oh, you're oh, you're so right. Silence is not neutral. Yeah. If you remain silent, then you are agreeing yeah. with with that person and with their belief. You are condoning it and and agreeing with it in your silence. So connecting. This 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 thing you were talking about with ally and how so many people are using that word as mental health practitioners. Yeah. The word ally. I'm curious because I I know that I imagine that some people listening may actually be clinicians themselves. Mm-hmm. There may be some therapists listening. I hope so. <laughs> what would be what would be your advice to those to folks who are in the field and working with transgender clients? Or their families and their families. Trust your clients. Trust your clients. Trust the experience of your clients. Trust the feelings of your clients. Trust the trust the things that they know about themselves and about their experience in the world. I think that mm-hmm. trust is something that I have seen to be lacking in the mental health field. And it's something I found to be lacking in the world in general. I mean, that's something mm-hmm. that is lacking from a lot of parent-child dynamics, mm-hmm. like trusting your children. Um, and I think that it, that is a valuable lesson for the therapeutic space, too. Mm-hmm. If, if a client comes to you and tells you, um, you know, a parent and child are sitting before you and they're talking about their experience and they're getting back things like, well, this is how that what that path actually looks like. And, well, these are the boxes that would be checked if, you know, for that label to fit. And, well, this is... You're missing the point entirely. You're missing your clients entirely. And they're not getting the support that they need. I would say just trust. And that just Mm -hmm. comes from, like, I authentically accept who you are and your experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to be a supportive guide in whatever way helps you to get where you want to go. I love that. I've I've heard this metaphor before, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, this metaphor of the therapist as a, as midwife in this oh I've never heard that and I love it <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard it actually particularly in the context of working with transgender clients oh, I love that so the way it was originally described to me and I'm going to share this with you and then maybe get some of your feedback on your thoughts on this metaphor and how you might add to it or evolve it. Uh, so how it was originally described to me was this idea of the therapist as midwife. And what our, what we do in that role is support, advocate, and hold space for our clients with compassion and acceptance. We hold space for them in exploring their true gender identity. And that in that space, that this sort of rebirth happens. And so I can acknowledge that for somebody like maybe your child who grew up in a home with full acceptance and unconditional love and compassion for who she really is, that this idea of rebirth might not resonate as part of what ha- would, what would happen for maybe your child in the process of therapy. Uh, but for those clients who maybe didn't have that same experience, it's this idea of holding space, 
unconditional acceptance, radical acceptance, compassion, and that in that process that our, that the client then begins this sort of process of rebirth. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this metaphor. I I love that metaphor of therapist as midwife, and I would not even necessarily see it as like a rebirth of the clients per se, but we are always moving through different seasons of our lives and different iterations of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, every time I have a new awakening, I don't necessarily see it as a rebirth, but I could, I, that, that midwife relationship is so something that would be so valuable because that midwife relationship is about honoring and trust and, you know, all in a way that, I think like we talked about the power dynamic can be so skewed sometimes between therapist and client as it is between like medical doctors and patients. And so I think that midwife metaphor really levels things out to a point where you can honor and accept Mm. and really hear and see the client in front of you and, and crawl inside their reality. Mm. Like a midwife would go inside of a client's home, a patient's home, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that metaphor is beautiful and can be so valuable to so many people who are trying to feel out the right fit for the relational dynamic in their therapeutic space. I I can't speak for every person who is transgender. I can only speak for our family's experience, but my kid is the exact same kid that they have always been. Um, And as puberty has begun to knock, you know, puberty defines this gender binary that that my child had never had to contend with before. So my child is the exact same person they have always been, but now from a biological perspective, they're having to um, pick a path, you know, and that might have things that come along with it, you know, where the transgender label is helpful. Yes. Um, But I, I wouldn't describe it as a rebirth, and I don't think my child would either because... You know, she says, like, I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm me and is that, I'm the same way that I was a month ago or a year ago. Like, I'm still happy and healthy and me. You know, she doesn't feel any different per se. She feels like the same person that she's always been. It's more everyone else mm. that is being reborn through their connection with her. Wow. Okay. Because they, those people in their relationship with her. Mm-hmm have their own ideas and constructs around who she was in that relationship. Yes. Just like you were saying earlier, there are many that there are many that have seen you as the mom of three boys. Mm-hmm. So even in that relationship with you. Yeah. Right? I feel like mm-hmm. my my child hasn't really struggled with this transition at all. Like mm-hmm. she's happy as a clam. Yeah. I have had to do that <laughs> that rebirth of yes. you know, the path that I saw before my child and what the future would look like and, and my conceptualization of my child, like that's all work that I've had to do, but she has, is the same that she's always been. And so I know that she would not describe it as a rebirth. I could definitely see, you know, describing my end of the work of this transition as being a rebirth of the way that I see a lot of things. And it's things that I'm happy to change. You know, it doesn't mean that that process isn't like messy and <laughs> I don't stumble because of course it's messy and of course I stumble, but as long as I keep my compass set, you know, to love and connection and acceptance. So full circle back to what we <laughs> talked about in the beginning, that compass of values yeah. and of what's important to you and exactly. to your family. And- I think a lot of people question like, well, 
you know, that gentle parenting woo is great when everything's going easy, you know, but Mm. what about when it's not, you know, and I feel like that is when it is the most value. That is when it's absolutely the most value when I stumble or when I, when I, when I'm in a moment where I have a lot of pieces that were just shaken onto the floor, you know, and, and we have to like adjust course and, and shift. That is when the compass is most valuable to me because I have peace and confidence knowing which direction I'm going to move. It's yeah. just the details that I have to work out. Amazing. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. I really quick, where can people find you? Sageparenting.com. So that's where that's the hub of all my happenings. And then um, I share our journey on Instagram too. So that's where I post all the pictures and videos of our fun adventures, like this trip coming down here and getting to hang out with you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing this space with me uh even some vulnerability there I think on both ends for us and I am just so grateful to that we were able to make this work out and for all that you shared with us today and uh for Sky allowing you to also come into this space and share in your journey so thank you Sky thank you so much for having me you've been listening to Holding Space Podcast I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.